I'm Kyle. And I'm Trevor. And welcome to Catching Up on Cinema. If you aren't familiar with the program, Catching Up on Cinema is a film analysis podcast wherein we introduce each other to films, expand our cinematic horizons, and, in essence, catch up on our cinema. So it is the month of July 2022, and uh, we didn't really start the month with this in mind, but as it so happens, uh, we kind of settled into a theme for the month of uh, films from exactly 20 years ago. So that would be the year 2002. Uh, so every week we've been alternating back and forth between uh, Kyle and I selecting films to review from the year 2002. And uh, I will say this much, they have varied uh, quite a bit in terms of their overall quality. Quite uh, <laughs> and that trend is going to continue as we get to the finish line here for July 2002, uh, 22 that is. Uh, so I had the final pick this week, uh, and it falls to me uh, to pick a film that I don't think is outstanding uh, however uh, i know who i was in 2002 and this movie was very much right up my alley uh in in 2002 when i first saw it uh, this was an early dvd purchase for me personally but um anyway the film in question our final review uh final review for this month is a uh, kurt wimmer's equilibrium now kyle uh do you have any connection to or familiarity with this film Nothing, absolutely nothing. I didn't know this existed until like a few years ago. Had no clue it was even a thing. Yeah, I I want to say that's often the case with folks. Like this, this was not a mainstream film. Uh, like if you just like glance at the trivia, like on either Wikipedia or IMDb about this film, it released in very few theaters in in the United States. Uh, this is very much an international production, mostly European. But um, it it was in my mind. I thought of this as a direct-to-video release because it, it didn't really have any sort of theatrical campaign. And also just the timing of its re release. I don't think many people saw this in, in the early days. I want to say because of you know the explosive popularity of Christian Bale in later years, especially Batman Begins and Beyond, um, I want to say people like retroactively found this one. Um, but at the time of its release, it's like you either you either found it or you didn't have any fucking clue it existed. Um, but the way this movie was introduced to me was uh, I had a neighborhood friend uh, in middle school and high school that uh, he had a DVD player that we uh, we would take advantage of to uh, use the chapter skip option on whatever discs he had handy. Uh, I will tell you this much. We watched a shit ton of Saving Private Ryan, mm. specifically the opening and the ending and uh, Gladiator specifically um the first uh coliseum battle and uh was it is it is it titus or what was the his name uh, uh, uh sven uh, Thorson's character yeah i can't i never knew what his i never know what his name is but i know who you're talking about well it's funny too because there's a connection to gladiator in the form yeah. of a cast member uh towards the end of this film but yeah those two movies uh we we would just watch the action beats like the violent scenes from um, and we'd take advantage of the features, the brand new spanking features on on the DVD to like zoom in and like and like chapter skip and fast forward without having to worry about tearing the fucking tape and stuff. Um, but this movie, I believe he rented, uh, and I just happened to be over that weekend or something, and uh, I think I just walked in on them watching a couple of the action scenes. And in 2002, you better fucking believe this was like mind blowing shit for young Trevor. Like, this was when I was really into The Matrix, and more specifically, <laughs> really into um, Ryuhei Kitamura, 
like the director of verses like this was around the time i was kind of discovering my my actual personal taste in cinema like what i like about watching <laughs> so like i will not claim that this movie is at all like exceptional uh it's it's pretty straightforward like it it has a, it has some very fine moments for sure and it has a style to it that i do think actually holds up 20 years down the line um but in from an action perspective this was very much of its time uh and it, it it's a little bit ugly to look back on in retrospect um but i just have so many like you like young memories of watching this and thinking this was the coolest fucking shit i'd ever seen <laughs> It's a little humiliating to admit that, but it's true. <laughs> Better or worse CGI, uh, Battlefield Earth or this movie? I think Battlefield Earth is probably like of an objectively higher quality, but I want to say its application is more restrained in this film and therefore better. Okay. Because they, they know how to use it, where it's like we're going to have some cityscape shots, we're going to have some zeppelins in the sky, we're going to have a lot of talking heads on cgi projected screens and stuff but we're not trying to like animate human beings and stuff because that even today that's hard like mm -hmm. like we're we're all too our eyes are too well trained to know what humans look like in motion and stuff like that to the point that rendering that in computer graphics is always going to be a little sketch if you don't give it its time and it's due um but here like all the stunt work is done practically uh, maybe with some CGI and wire assistance, but beyond that, like we're not trying to animate human beings. It's mostly just extending the sets. Um, so very, very actually, like very skillful use of CGI. But Battlefield Earth, uh, you know, it, it came out later. Like some of the modeling's probably of a higher quality. But um, yeah, uh, Kyle, would you care to give us a, a like a plot rundown for this one, being as this is uh, all new to you? Yeah. Uh, so the Nazis won. Okay, never mind. Uh, in an oppressive, <laughs> in, in an oppressive future where all forms of feeling are illegal, a man in charge of enforcing the law rises to overthrow the system and state. Yeah. Okay. I mean that that is as straightforward as it gets. But in terms of just like breaking it down to its bare bones, yes, that is all true. Uh, we are a little pinched for time, being as we both have some real life shit going on today. So this is not going to be like a beat by beat, but um, Kyle, actually, because of that, I think I'm going to lean on you to guide the conversation, uh, as you please. <laughs> um, but uh, I will okay. pause for a moment just to, to talk a little bit about the, our director, Kurt Wimmer, uh, because... Oh, I was waiting for you. <laughs> I've, been, I've been waiting, dude. <laughs> okay, I, I was, I'm glad we're on the same page, because there's some shit about this guy. Um, I will point out, I wasn't expecting this, but apparently he, he's, he's a product of Hawaii. Uh, born in Honolulu, Hawaii, uh, where my family's from. That's really yeah. funny. He's, he's your uh, tribe. Did not dude. see that coming. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, just looking at his uh, his filmography, it's uh, there's some shit in here for sure. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, yeah. so he's mostly a writer. He has some producing credits and some directing credits. Mostly a writer. Um, but Equilibrium was kind of an early big deal for him. He also had writing credits on Sphere, uh, the Michael Crichton adapted film that... I haven't seen it in a really long time. I watched that movie way more than anyone should. Like, it's not great. It's just for some reason I, I watched it a lot when I was young. 
Uh, he, he has a writing credit on the Thomas Crown Affair. Of, he, of course, wrote and directed Equilibrium. Uh, but the big one that I want to say kept him out of the director's chair for many, many years is Ultraviolet from the year yeah. 2006, which uh, continues some of the, I don't know, the visual flair and the, the energetic editing that you'll find in this film. But it dials it up to 11 and not for the better because ultraviolet is truly terrible in a lot of ways um aesthetically it's interesting i don't think it's nice to look at like it's actually kind of hideous at times but it's at least distinct and interesting um but my fucking god it's like it it's hard to follow it's like why what why what and and then sometimes it's it's absolutely hideous to look at it's over ambitious it's a very very bad film (laughs) um and he would not direct another until 2020 in the form of a apparent remake to children of the corn uh that i didn't even know existed but kyle uh thoughts on kurt wimmer uh no i just i i saw ultraviolet was on his imdb and i know that is a triggering movie for a lot of people so i figured you were going to have something to say about him but i also thought you might have something to say about the gun kata uh, I'm not sure if he's the one that pinned it or he was the one that came up with it, but the IMDb trivia seems to suggest that he's kind of the one that came up with this. Yeah, I, I've seen a couple of sources point to that being the case. Um, and this is something that... What, what's really fascinating about this movie... Well, it's not actually fascinating, but what's <laughs> funny to me is that if you pull up this movie's Wikipedia page, people care about this movie. Mm-hmm. Like, it has a fan base, and you can tell exactly what kind of fan base because... This is a very small movie that, you know, is not mainstream popular by any means. But the depth of this article is absurd. Where it's like somebody <laughs> somebody cared for them. Somebody, <laughs> somebody loved, loved it. Him. Somebody loved it. Yes. Somebody cared. <laughs> Was this somebody just ang- curated. angry crying? Just fucking good. Yeah. No, it's it's like there's like deep breakdowns of all the concepts and, and terminology and and even like the the flag of the country that the film takes place in has a fucking JPEG on this article. Keep keep Kurt Vimmer's name out your fucking mouth. Yeah, that's. I mean, there's. Yeah. I'm sure there are a, a a few dozen geeks on the internet that would have that reaction to to us shit talking this movie. I don't plan to shit talk this movie, but. Uh, maybe i need to watch out who knows we're about to get slapped at the oscars dude <laughs> mm. uh, but yeah uh, i will point out that uh he only has writing credits but this guy was very 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 active in hollywood in like the the mid-tier blockbuster arena because mm-hmm. like street kings is a is a minor keanu movie during like the off years for keanu oh, i think i've um, seen that law-abiding citizen i think you you kind he- of have I've, talked about from time to time i got a soft spot for it i, I watched it a few times uh it's it's fun it's not great but uh it's not the worst gerard butler yeah you've brought it up a couple of times i think it's a, a fun movie it's not it's a fine. classic but it's fine um salt uh which is a a minor you know spy thriller angelina jolie and leaf schreiber a very good soundtrack by john powell in that movie but not not nearly a very excellent spy movie the remake of total recall the remake of point break Mm. he was involved in all these productions to what capacity i don't know but he's listed as a writer so he kept busy but pretty sure ultraviolet really sunk his his potential career as a director but yeah did you want to break down our cast yeah uh, it's 
Um, we've got mostly uh, Christian Bale. He's our main character. Uh, Sean Bean, who I thought was going to be more of a character in this film, but he was on his run of dying and everything at this point. Spoiler alert. Uh, Emily Watson, who's barely in the film. Uh, Tay Diggs, uh, who I think is actually pretty decent in this movie. I'm not a huge Tay Diggs fan. I haven't seen him in a whole bunch, but yeah, I think he works for this. Um, and then a few other people. The other big ones are Angus McFadden. Uh, and William, uh, I've got him as Bill Fickner, uh, but William Fickner. Yeah. <laughs> we're, on, we're, we're doing nicknames. And then Dom Purcell is in the opening scene, uh, and then Sean Pertwee is one of the talking heads. Yeah, friend of the show, Sean Pertwee, who's been on previous episode, uh, Dog Soldiers. Yes. Uh, yeah, he, he's, he's always welcome. Uh, I like him in pretty much everything I've ever seen him in. He has a small role in this, but he executes it well. Um, I'm glad you pointed out Dominic Purcell, Mm -hmm. uh, just because I'd never get tired of the novelty of referring to him, not by his name, but simply as Prison Break. Mm-hmm. Like as a human being, he he is Prison Break. Like, I like just in in Blade Three, he is not playing Dracula; he's Prison Break, the vampire. <laughs> All right, yeah, I was gonna say I was like I know he's in Blade Three, but I've seen pieces of that movie. I haven't even watched the whole thing. I just know he's uh, he's in it. Uh, I read that Christian Bale apparently got this role after the director saw him in uh, American Psycho, and I could have told you that without even. Uh, without even reading that because he's very much just a a less enjoyable Patrick Bateman in this movie yeah they do the performance does have some similarities Mm. to that like oh go ahead um so I was I wanted to point this out real quick Minority Report came out the same year and it's a far superior film obviously but as I was watching this I'm like I think this would have made a good. This would have been a good Tom Cruise movie. Not saying he would have made it any better, but I feel like you could have just switched him out, and I think you could have had just as good of a film. Yeah, actually, there's some some like quirks to the to Christian Bale's performance in this that actually remind me of some of Tom Cruise's mm-hmm. quirks as an actor, like when he's trying to suppress sorrow, or like when he's filled with rage and he has like the veins popping on his forehead and stuff. It's really funny, actually. My introduction to to Christian Bale. Uh, came in the form of me seeing a commercial for American Psycho and thinking that he was Tom Cruise wearing prosthetic and makeup appliances. Well, because purpose, their bone yeah. structures were, were similar. In, well, yeah, actually, I'm pretty sure he probably watched tape of Tom Cruise he based in preparation it, for that performance. He absolutely did. He based his character off of interviews with Tom Cruise. That, I mean, that's good on him it worked out very very well but i just think it's funny that i didn't know who he was very few people did in this country anyway like yeah even though we'd been exposed to him like he had had hits like as a very very young man though like yeah. empire of the sun empire of the sun. spielberg as a child and uh newsies he did a you know a song and dance routine and that and i think he may have been in a uh, swing kids i could be wrong on that uh, i probably am but Anyway, point is that was my introduction to him, and uh, what's there's a funny quirk in the cast to, uh, in the way the cast is assembled here, and we're kind of just willy nilly picking and choosing who's going to adopt like an accent or not, right? <laughs> it's like there's some people who are speaking in their natural natural accent. There's some actors who are deliberately covering their accent and going for a flattened out American affectation. Uh, it almost feels like Christian Bale was either just 
carrying over the lessons learned in preparation for his performance in American Psycho, mm-hmm. or just like telling himself every night before he went to sleep, "I'm gonna be Batman. I'm gonna be Batman. I'm gonna be Batman." <laughs> He's just like, "I'm gonna, I'm gonna get this down three years well, before that movie even comes out." Well, if the director saw him in American Psycho and liked the, his performance, he's like, "I want you to do a very similar performance, a very cold person in this movie." So it's like, it's probably easy just to stay kind of in something close to that character. Um, but I think still, I think Christian Bale still has one of the best uh, American accents of English actors. I, I'll I'll say this much: he uh, he fooled a lot of people. Uh, as yeah. I said, yeah. yeah, Kyle's putting his hand up right now. He yeah. he was genuinely fooled. Um, I, what happened was because he's you know one of those method guys. Um, if memory serves, when he was doing the press tour for Batman Begins he was continuing to do his American accent during interviews and whatnot. Mm-hmm. So a lot of people didn't get wise to the fact um, that he was, you know, British until much later, but um, yeah, he's very, very good at it. Um, and actually it's funny too, because it actually lends itself pretty well to this performance specifically because so much of the ideas that we're working with have to do with masking. Uh, so the idea of like having to exist in public while putting on a different face like if he has some stumbles with his speech or something it actually kind of contributes to the performance a little bit mm-hmm. um but yeah like it, it's kind of all over the place like who's speaking with their natural accent or not in this cast but it's actually kind of funny how this is a, a relatively small film but it actually does have quite a bit of talent uh in the cast mm-hmm. like emily watson is is yeah. a very talented actress yeah very much uh, well, yeah, I mean, and William Fickner is also very, very versatile. Angus McFadden, I know, or McFadden, he uh, he can take things for a walk if you let him, uh, <laughs> for sure. I uh, think he he, he kind of does that here. I think he works. It works in this movie. I I, I like him. Uh, he only pops up occasionally in stuff I watch, but every time, uh, every time I see him, I, I really enjoy him. He's I don't like Braveheart very much, but he's very memorable in that movie. Yeah, uh, Robert the Bruce. That's mm-hmm. that's got to be one of the coolest names in it history. Really is. Robert yeah. the Bruce. It's like, what is a Bruce, yeah. and why are you the Bruce? <laughs> if you gotta know, don't. Yeah, don't worry about it, man. It's uh, yeah, it's out of your yeah. pay range. I mostly remember him from Warriors of Virtue, where he played the scenery chewing villain. <laughs> I've heard of that movie and its reputation, but I've never actually seen it, and I probably won't watch it. <laughs> No, I wouldn't ask you to do that. You'd hurt yourself. Okay. All right, so I guess I'm going to jump into uh, this real quick. Hang on. Ready, and I will not let this opportunity slip through my fingers. Okay, so uh, we are, uh, I think we're around this, what year are we in? It's definitely the near future. Uh, We're never given a year as far as I know, but the point is we've had a third world war and we're now in a a place where we're taking steps preemptively to prevent a fourth one. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah, so to do that, uh, we've developed the Grammation Cleric, which is basically somebody who keeps people in line and you can't have feelings. This is basically the Nazis have won. You can't have feelings, and we constantly have to be testing or watching people to make sure that they don't have feelings. Um, we don't see it right at this at this shot, but we kind of learn throughout the film that people have to inject themselves uh, in the neck with some kind of what is it? Um, just an, 
it's I forgot my interval serum or whatever it is. It's basically some kind of a motion suppressant, but we are in a hellscape of a future in this movie. Yeah, as Kyle has said a couple of times at this point, and this is very this is an important note to carry with you throughout your viewing experience. The Nazis won, mm-hmm. uh, basically, is the society we're living in. This is yes. a dystopian fascist society uh, complete with brutalist architecture and red, white, and black uh, flags everywhere and stuff. Um, they even filmed this in Berlin, as far as I understand, to take advantage of the, the style <laughs> of architecture. Um, but yeah, basically, we're, we've gotten to a place where uh, the entire planet was devastated by the Third World War, and now we've developed a drug called Prosium uh, that suppresses all human feelings and emotions. Mm-hmm. Uh, so everybody's on a daily prescription of this thing, and uh, the positives of it are that war uh, has been completely ceased. Uh, the negatives of it, uh, innumerable. <laughs> so there's no war, but there's genocide, because that's exactly what this movie is. Like, oh, there's no wars. There's no wars. Well, we kill anybody that stops taking their dose or has a painting with them. It's pretty ridiculous. Uh, it's it's kind of scary uh, when you're watching this, because I'm like, I feel like there's a, there's a significant push for uh, something like this. Um, but yeah, we get a, I guess we start off with the shootout that's happening in a warehouse. Um, this movie, I think, is a lot of sizzle, no steak. Like, we do get some really cool shots of Christian Bale. He looks badass in this movie. And I think that this opening scene, which was a trailer scene, is pretty awesome. Uh, we kind of get to see, Bale is like the, he's the best, uh, cleric. We're just going to call him the cleric, because I don't like the, the Grammation cleric. It's a tetragrammaton cleric. Tetragrammaton. There we go. Tetragrammaton yeah. cleric. Yeah. Jesus. See, Christ. that's that's why the nerds love this movie, Kyle, is because mm. it has a glossary. <laughs> it has its own vocabulary. Okay. Uh, yeah, so there's a shootout, and basically he's going to have to come in and be the closer. He's the guy that closes ass in this movie. And what do you think about this, <laughs> uh, this, uh, this sequence here? Because... I'm just it, picturing him getting out of the car and who let the dogs out? <laughs> like at a baseball game or something. <laughs> uh, <laughs> bring yeah. in the closer. <laughs> yeah, bring in. Yeah, the, <laughs> he's the closer. Your ass better call somebody. Yeah, he's he's <laughs> good job. He's coming in now. This is this was an interesting shot. So uh, basically, he just has his two guns in his leather duster. And he runs and jumps through this door, and then he just shuts the door. And then we like hold on him in this dark room for like a really, really long time. Yeah, this this sequence, like Kyle, like this is why I had such a long introduction to this film. Remember, I was very young when I first saw this film. I was probably in late middle school uh, when I saw this, maybe early high school or something. And yeah, we have Squib fucking City during this raid where we see all these SWAT guys. It's basically like Counter-Strike in a movie. Like like we're talking like early Counter-Strike on Steam back in the day. I don't even know if we even had Steam back then. But um, there's this massive police raid. This is where uh, Prison Break, a.k.a. Dominic Purcell, is hanging out. And uh, they've all they've done, as far as I can tell, is hoard art. Like mm-hmm. paintings and shit. Yeah. Uh, so we got to blast them into oblivion. Blast them. Yeah. <laughs> Sean Bond, Scene Bean, and Christian Bale. They they roll up in their shitty white Lincoln. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
the, those cars are terrible. <laughs> yeah. They look so chintzy. Yeah. But they tried. You know, the production design for this movie sometimes is great, sometimes not so much. Yeah, there was a push for Lincolns around this time because I think Matthew McConaughey's Lincoln lawyer was around this time as well. Ah, yeah, you, you are right. I think mm. that was a couple years down the line, but yes, the 2000s very much. There was a push for Lincoln. But um, yeah, the sequence, this opening beat with Christian Bale is is magnificently like staged like mm-hmm. it's well conceived and it's really well put together because basically they blow the hinges off this door and he slides the door in like like a skateboard basically mm-hmm. and then he just stands up in the middle of a darkened room and they cut the lights and then there's this long like lengthy silence very you much. can hear people whispering like where is he what do we do and then he just stands in the center of the room and the entire action beat is illuminated by the muzzle flashes of him just blasting them yeah. <laughs> like everyone um but it's it's very well executed uh, there's some really cool cinematography here but it's really funny seeing the two of them roll up uh sean bean and christian bale and it's kind of like uh agents johnson and johnson showing up at the yeah. nakatomi plaza <laughs> it's like we're in charge now yeah no relation um i was kind of <laughs> bummed that uh so they they uh we find a uh, a bunch of paintings in the floorboards and uh I'm like, oh, there's the Mona Lisa. And he's just like, burn it. Like, burn it all. I'm like, damn. Uh, and uh, Scene Bean ends up taking a, a book with him. And we get, the, we get the gist that basically they're destroying everything that makes you feel. Like art. Uh, and he has a book of poetry, basically. And he says to him, he's like, why, why didn't you have them destroy that? And uh, Scene Bean's like, well, sometimes they miss things. And... Uh, they get back to the headquarters, and this is where, at the same time, we kind of learn. You can tell from uh, Sean Bean that he's not really feeling this lifestyle anymore, and we're not sure exactly what's going on quite yet. But I was kind of hoping that Christian Bale was going to stay the bad guy in this movie. I thought it would have been a lot of fun having him be the bad guy. Yeah, it. it I could have followed that character for a, a longer time than they allot to that. Mm-hmm. Like, I could have followed him being a, a shit heel, like completely ignorant to the evils that he's doing. Um, I could have been with that character for longer, but they actually have the turn happen very early in this film. Very, um, and it kind of leads to it farting around quite a bit uh, in its middle section. It's mm-hmm. really unfortunate in that way. Like Kyle said. Uh, all sizzle no steak i think was the phrase you used i think that is very true in terms of the pacing of this film uh it does have some truly awesome moments for sure um but that's where the dvd factor comes into play that's how i enjoyed this film was not watching it front to back over and over and over again it was simply watching the highlights uh strictly the action beats which are very brief by the way yeah um but very well put together but um yeah, scene bean is not long for this <laughs> for this production, but um, just just like looking at his face, Kyle's absolutely right. You can kind of tell he's a little checked out or questioning uh, what's being done because he doesn't participate in any of this. He's just a he's just a standby, just like watching everything unfold, and he just has this look of consternation on his face. He's very good at subtlety, and when we get to Lord of the Rings, I think that that first movie you'll be. I think I'm very much impressed with his performance of the character in that movie. Um, I think you'll I think you'll be pleasantly surprised. Uh, the yeah. So next we get uh, Bale talking to McFadden, and again we kind of get the gist that uh, Christian Bale's like kind of the head of these dudes, and he's gonna go talk to the boss. Uh, McFadden's basically just like, 
how's it going? Like Stone Cold. Like so, the, the thing with the with the performances uh, is that everybody's just like just no emotion. Everybody's just robotic and cold, kind of like Nazis. Uh, <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> um, but we we learned that uh, there was, I guess, a mishap. And I'm not sure how long ago it was. It must have been fairly recent that uh, we learned that his son is in the program. He's very bright. I guess he's on his way to being uh, a cleric as well. But it's like, and your wife was incinerated. And I'm like, whoa, what's happening? Um, and he's, I think the, the mistake that McFadden is referring to is that he wasn't able to catch that his wife had been feeling things. And that looked bad on him. And I guess this discussion is to make sure that he's got his head on right. Yeah, it's interesting because this we're led to believe uh, through the way it's presented to us later that this did happen very recently, like mm-hmm. within a couple of years maybe. Um, basically what the film is telling us here is that this journey, it appears that we have like a catalyst for the, the beginning of this character's journey, but in actuality, the seeds were planted for it earlier in mm-hmm. the form of his wife, but uh, he just didn't know it. Um, but yeah, Kyle's right. Uh, basically, Dupont, uh, the Angus McFadden character, uh, he tells he tells uh, Preston is the character's name, John Preston, Christian Bale, uh, that like, hey, so your your wife was feeling stuff and you didn't catch that because it does appear he does have a, like a sixth sense uh, for sensing when other people are feeling things because like when he finds the Mona Lisa in in Prison Break's house. He just knew it was under the floorboards. Mm-hmm. Like he didn't have to snoop around, or he just looked at the ground. And he was like, "It's in there." <laughs> it's yeah. like, "Oh shit, okay." <laughs> uh, I did want to point out that we do also have uh, rows of people wearing shitty neutral colors, listening to these big talking heads. It's what I imagine it's like to live in North Korea. I don't know, but that's just what I'm guessing happens. We've got huge, more or less, big brother, but his name is Father in this movie. Um. Yeah, the it's actor uh, Sean Pertwee, uh, just his face and talking about the greater good and you gotta not feel things because it's better for no war and shit. It really sucks. Um, yeah, it's it's a very economical montage because really all it is is we get like a couple of CGI sweeping shots across the city to show us what it is. It's basically like this fasc- fascistic, like br- brutalist fortress Mm -hmm. that has like a blasted wasteland on the outskirts that they call the nether um and then we get this exposition dump in the form of like the the daily meditations of this father character speechifying to the masses uh and he talks about the the name of the nation is libria prosium is the drug that everybody takes to suppress emotions we see that there's like a timer that goes off like an alarm that tells everybody it is now time to stab yourself in the neck and do yeah. some nuke uh, yeah. from robocop 2 um, <laughs> and then also uh, any any objects or totems that prompt emotional reactions are labeled contraband yeah um and also like uh like we later see with preston's son uh, there's like a hitler youth thing going on oh dude this kid there is a shot in this movie where he literally has the ss it's like the ss uniform and he's got the hitler youth haircut like the part oh god dude it's on the yeah nose. he's got the riding pants and stuff oh like, like yeah. he looks like an ss officer or something. and the flag the flag is you couldn't it couldn't be any more a swastika it's supposed to be a swastika it's really very clear what they're he's getting at here it's just it's just like they took 
the additional legs off the swastika oh, and then they rotated dude. it to make a cross and there, that's all there there is a scene and it's always sunny in philadelphia where frank may, makes a flag and it's four f's stacked against each other and it comes out looking like yeah it's like i didn't know it was gonna come out like that I'm like oh, i think you did <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty funny um but yeah, so uh, Bale is going down to the evidence to see about the book that was turned in by Sean Bean. And uh, the guy's like, yeah, he didn't turn it in. He's like, motherfucker, he turned it in. He's like, motherfucker, he didn't turn it in. Look at the look at the log. And he's like, well, shit. Now I got to go kill this dude in a church like a John Woo movie. Yeah, I mean, nope. I'll just leave it at that. It, that's <laughs> essentially what it is. There are a couple of choice quotes here that I will point out. Because Sean Bean is executed while reading Yates, the book that he stole. Um, I say, I like this he, scene. He, uh, this is good. Yeah, as you said, Mr. Scene Bean is quite good at subtlety, and that's what this performance calls for. And this sequence is well acted, and, and Christian Bale, even in trash, usually shows the fuck up. And he shows up for this movie. Yeah. There's a reason he took this role, is because it does offer some acting stuff for him to do. Um, but here, he's not allowed to feel just yet. This is him questioning for the very first time in this film, but... Um, scene Bean has a couple of quotes from the text that uh, he, he says some other stuff, but the main one that we call back to at the finale of the film is "Tread softly because you tread on my dreams." Um, and then he he also like confronts Bale about this idea, like about feeling, and he's like, "Feeling like it, it's just a the way he phrases it, it's a vestigial word for feeling you've never felt." Yeah, it's like you're using words that you don't truly understand. And then the the last quote is. Um, a heavy cost, I pay it gladly. Which, mm-hmm. again, we call back to at the finale of the film. But long story short, yes, uh, Christian Bale executes him. Yeah, and shoots him through the book and in the face. Yeah, and he's like on the outside, he's clearly he has no emotion, but on inside, he's just bitch! just not happy about it. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm having a good time. Not. Not. Um, by the way, uh, very clearly a stunt double when we see the overhead angle of scene being getting capped in the face. Yeah. It's like, don't don't show a man's face that clearly and in slow motion. You, you will you will get sussed out. But anyway, we're introduced to Tay Diggs at this point. Uh, yeah. Who is his like immediate replacement partner? Like that. Immediate. Immediately. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, and he's just like, I'm just like you. I'm just as quick and smart. And uh, apparently being your partner is a career maker. So it's kind of like, he's very excited. He's a young whippersnapper. He's ready to get after it. Uh, and like I said, T- uh, Tay Diggs is good in here. Um, I think that he plays this role pretty well. Um, yeah, we get uh, Christian Bale going home and his son is, oh my God, the indoctrination is ridiculous. He is sitting at home <laughs> doing his studies, which is sitting in front of a big TV and uh, just listening to this shit and I like his interaction with his son because it's very it's just so odd and you just really get a feel for this 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 is where you really get a feel for what the society feels like is he comes in and he's just like he doesn't even really ask about his day he just like he asks him like some just some random question and then he calls him by he calls him Preston he doesn't call him dad he calls him by his first name yeah he, he just calls him John and he's just Popped in front of this entire wall-sized television, blasting propaganda. Uh, it needs to be said, uh, you know, this movie obviously draws from a lot of dystopian fiction that's, mm-hmm. you know, kind of in the mainstream like these days, like 1984, the headlines, and, uh, Fahrenheit 451 in particular, uh, in the form of burning the art and also the the screens, if memory serves, that was a big part of that that story as well. Uh, 
bright brave new world all, all of that stuff that i had to read back in middle school but um the main exchange between him and his son is uh, his son tells him like hey i saw one of my classmates crying should i report him and christian bale's just like yeah no no duh son <laughs> all this nazi talk i really want to watch inglorious bastards now uh <laughs> <laughs> i want to see some bad things happen to these people <laughs> yeah i just i just rewatched once upon a time in hollywood so i'm like i might as well just keep brad pitt and just gratuitous violence going uh seems like a good way to go <laughs> um so yeah we get the wife flashback here we learn what happened he goes to sleep i was looking at his sleep clothes so he's got like this nice black t-shirt and these nice black sleep pants i'm like i maybe i need to switch it up because i just sleep in my chonies and a t-shirt i'm like maybe i need to get like a nice sleeping outfit you know maybe when i get my own house i'll get a nice sleeping outfit a solid investment i will point out no sheets on the bed nope no sheets because that would prompt feelings yeah <laughs> well why would you need sheets you're not cold it's like why would you need exactly to to, why would you need i don't to go feel to, anything why do you need to go to therapy you're not depressed you know um Good God. <laughs> that's a whole other that's a whole other thing i mean we learned about he his has wa- a nightmare yeah a nightmare uh, his uh some dudes just bust in when his uh, he's with his wife and then he tries to stop him like he he ends up murking one of the dudes and they're like dude dude dude, dude your wife has been feeling shit and he's like oh fuck uh that's not good uh, ew ew <laughs> oh uh, get her off me yeah and the family just watches as they drag her away um yeah, yeah pretty dark and then yeah he, he pops yeah. up yeah he wakes up so he like i guess took a nap like i guess that he was unknowingly like exhausted from you know shooting his partner in the face yeah. shooting a handsome man like scene bean that'll take it right out of yeah. you yeah um, but he uh, he wakes up and uh, he sets aside his uh, his prosium to mm-hmm. take to suppress his emotions and then he accidentally drops it. <gasps> yeah, and then uh, oh, say, Papa, why did you drop that? Uh, you need to take your morning interval. <laughs> uh, it's a little super actually, Nazi. Kyle, I'm gonna I'm gonna stop you right there. And uh, something that my friend pointed out to me, I would not have noticed this, huh. um, but my friend notices diff- like you notices different things than I do. Um, the repetition of the phrase what are you doing yeah very bluntly what are you doing so he the kid kind of doesn't witness him dropping the drugs but he like walks in after the fact and the kid just walks in and as kyle it said what are you doing <laughs> and this happens no less than five times in this movie somebody walks in on someone else and says very bluntly very directly what are you doing well it, it's a good question to ask especially if you're trying to catch somebody in the act of doing something it's like now you have to explain yourself but you also have to explain why you're doing something without feeling well also if you don't have any feelings of apprehension or any any cares about how people react to you mm-hmm. then being that blunt and direct would come very naturally mm-hmm. it's like it's not weird to just say what are you doing like like you're you're actually just asking like what are you doing? It's not yeah. accusatory. It's just what is it that you are currently yeah. doing? <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then we get we have to go bust up some more people having feelings. Apparently, uh, we go get Emily Watson, who just she sticks out in this movie. Like she's great. Uh, I just it just doesn't seem it seems beneath her. This kind of a movie where it's like not much of a role. Maybe she just needed a little bit of cash at the time. I feel like she absolutely needed more screen time mm-hmm. uh, because with what little she has to play with, she gives a lot. But you're you're kind of right. Like, the, it, 
absolutely super talented actress but feels kind of wasted to yeah. some degree yeah. um, which is unfortunate because she is very very talented um, but yeah uh, by the way that the son can't decide what his accent is because he he says equilibrium a couple mm. of times it's like hmm I mean, he's trying to sound American throughout the rest of the movie, but that one word, it's like, mm, I don't know. <laughs> it's like, did we have a language coach on the set? Because I don't think we could afford it. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, uh, Christian Bale basically is, he's told by people around him, like, oh, you need to get new drugs because you dropped your old drugs. Yeah. Um, but before he can do it, um, Tay Diggs intercepts him and he's just like, well, I mean, the car's here now. I should. I should get in right yeah. so he he's not taking his drugs so he's basically going a day without and yeah. this is where we are introduced to emily watson she's got contraband and she's wearing makeup mm-hmm. uh, which is a form of contraband and <laughs> i had a good chuckle at the the twirly swirl that he has to put her through mm-hmm. christian bale like just he like basically grabs hold of her he manhandles her but we have this like overhead shot and this like highly choreographed like arm yeah. arm twisting like twirl that, that looks it looks so goofy but um, basically he holds her up to the mirror and he's like look at you look at you look at you <laughs> <laughs> yeah and then uh tay diggs comes through and breaks a mirror oops and uh it i was like good there you go tay get yourself seven years bad luck because yeah he, and he definitely does he definitely gets himself some bad luck after doing that um yeah, but she they end up busting through this fake wall, and he's able to figure out immediately. He's like, no, the, the Jewish people are back here. No, that's different. Because um, <laughs> uh, that's what this feels like. This, I mean, that's what, like, this is what this feels like. Them harboring things that they're not supposed to have. Uh, yeah, so I thought we got a headshot here, but we ended up not getting a headshot here. This is a very clever misdirection. So, mm-hmm. Like the cinematography and the editing and in, in the action sequences in particular, and some of the transitions, very similar to like a, a Russell Mulcahy movie. Some of the transitions uh, from scene to scene are actually quite skillful in this film. And I really like this where we have a, a pistol, we hear a gunshot and we see a pistol like lined horizontally up in the frame. And then the angle rotates and we see that it's actually facing upward because christian bale intercepted it and prevented tay diggs from shooting emily watson Mm -hmm. very clever i like that um but basically he says we need to interrogate her instead um so they take her to interrogation christian bale has an exchange with her and uh she very similar to scene bean uh confronts her about what it like the importance of human feeling Mm -hmm. she says why are you alive you exist merely to continue your existence and he go he pontificates on and on about like existing to serve it's like you're making my point for me sir <laughs> congratulations um and she has a good line here about like breath is like without feeling breath or breathing is just a clock ticking yeah um and uh by the way co- processing in this film is code for putting people in ovens yes uh, yeah um but yeah so he ends up going home and he's watching his kids sleep i'm like dude you can't be doing that you can't be watching your kids sleep you might feel something um but he skips his evening dose yes uh he skips his dose uh he has a another bad nightmare in memory of his wife being put into a furnace mm-hmm. um for feeling and then he awakes to chest pains mm-hmm. um and we see that he is in american psycho shape at the time of, fi- of filming yeah uh not something christian bale i'm sure is always in but for this film he was very much in shape um 
And uh, he has this moment where uh, there's rain outside, and we see that his his windows in his bedroom have like a paper covering on them, so mm. you can't actually see out them. Um, and he does some of that acting shit where he has an emotional reaction to seeing a rainbow and rainfall over the city skyline. Um, and he panics for a moment and he goes for his drugs. However, we don't actually see him take them mm-hmm. uh, because remember, these are new experiences for him. It's very frightening. Um, but then we have this this cool moment where he discard he formally discards his drugs and uh, he's like walking like a, a cattle call with like a, a crowd of people up like a subway staircase. And uh, he removes his glove to like caress the the guardrail like the, the grimy fucking guardrail of the mm-hmm. of the staircase just because again new feelings uh, new ideas um and then we see his his office yeah the, for some reason this gave me a chuckle I like like his working environment looks so shitty <laughs> yeah um yeah he gets uh yeah like how he's yeah it, it, it's really awful and it's i think it's starting to like He's getting that office space feeling of like this is terrible. Like this, this whole work environment is kind of awful. <laughs> Why do I work here? <laughs> yeah. He's like, every day is the worst day of my life. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. No, it, it's like Joe meets Joe versus the volcano meets Brazil, kind of. Yeah, <laughs> like uh, I know one of those. Um, but he starts oh. moving stuff uh, around on his desk. And he, uh, he's like, he has like four things on his desk, and it seems like everybody else has their stuff the same way. And he just kind of just, almost like out of anger, like he just kind of moves them, like almost like a child. Like it's, it's the only thing he has control over is his desk, and he just kind of moves the stuff. And I, I really, I got a good chuckle out of this. Um, Tay comes up, or uh, Ta- yeah, Tay comes up, and he, um, he's just like, "What are you doing?" He's like just rearranging my desk, and he's like, "Why would you do that?" And he's like, "Uh, oh goddamn it! Uh, uh, uh what's he say? Optimizing. I'm, I'm optimizing my desk arrangement. Yeah." <laughs> yeah, he Go. says, "I had no feelings about it. I'm merely attempting to optimize." Optimize. <laughs> <laughs> I want to use that so bad. I want to use that so bad. <laughs> no feelings. I'm just trying to optimize. Um, <laughs> I'm really trying to optimize. <laughs> Such a good line. Next, next time the girlfriend walks in on me doing something fucking stupid, yeah. that's what's going to come out of my mouth. What are you doing? Just trying to optimize. Uh, yeah, we got to start using that now. Um, yeah. So now we have to. We have another uh, another shootout. Yeah, we have another raid. Um, I noticed some continuity gaffes here in the form of what guns are firing when and the reactions they're in. Um, anyway, this is Squib City 2. Um, mm-hmm. But if you're a fan of squibs, you will like parts of this movie. Yeah. Because we, we, are, we are filling the walls with squibs. Air compressor squibs, which were the style at the time. They were mm-hmm. highly cost efficient. Saving Private Ryan kind of like made people realize how cost efficient that shit was. And then like Band of Brothers would continue the trend. Uh, but we're using dust instead of blood for the most part, though. Yeah, I was gonna say CGI blood was CGI blood was around the corner, like it's just a few years around away. the corner. It's, yeah. Co- yeah, it's around coming. the time of Rambo Four was Ugh. like when, when it was nothing but that yep. because again cost efficiency. Like the, if we're talking time and efficiency, it is cheaper to do it in post. Three hundred. That's just how it is. Um, <laughs> well, I mean, that whole movie is a CGI effect, is, even yeah. the abs, for the most part. <laughs> yeah, a few of them. Uh, um, no, yeah. I mean, you know, overhead lighting, man. Overhead lighting's your best fucking friend when it comes to ab light. Sure is. Um, but, but yeah, uh, I will point out the soundtrack for this movie. Uh, fun little trivia factoid, Kyle. 
Mm -hmm. uh, I noticed it here and it, I confirmed it later. Um, so I was thinking of Broken Arrow uh, during some of the action beats in this film. Like a lot of this music, I was like, this sounds like Broken Arrow. And that was a Hans Zimmer composition. And then I looked into it and the soundtrack is by Klaus Bedelt who is an understudy of Hans Zimmer or an Ooh. associate of Hans Zimmer. So he very likely worked on Broken Arrow. But the fun little Easter egg here is that Klaus Bedelt is listed as the composer for Solomon Kane. Oh, man. <laughs> we might... All roads lead to Solomon Kane. Something's, I think something's telling us Like I just kind of need to watch it at some point. Uh, you really don't, but for some reason, the, the, the it's in the air. It's a whizzle. It's a wazzle. <laughs> that and the Hugh Jackman, um, the Hugh Jackman Van Helsing movie. Like I just need to. I gotta. I gotta see it. I gotta see what happens. Uh, that one's kind of fun. Okay. Like that one is kind of fun. I, I, I've seen that a couple of times. That okay. it's not good, but it, it's campy. It's very, very, very campy. Okay. Um, plus, it has a uh, Kevin J. O'Connor. Oh, yeah. Uh, our good buddy, KJOC. Yeah. Yeah, Benny! Benny. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, so we've got uh, another shootout, and then we find a knick-knack room, uh, which is really tacky and gaudy design. Like, just, ugh, it's all nasty shit. Um, but he's, like, kind of looking at stuff. There's, uh, is this where the snow globe is, or is that a different? That was yes. the, yeah. He finds himself a snow globe, and I'm like, he's really starting to feel stuff at this point. And I'm like, uh, he better not find a Playboy, because <laughs> I was like, he's gonna just be going to town on. He's like, like Taylor's gonna be like, uh, cleric, have you? Oh shit! And he's just like, oh my god, uh, give me a minute, give me a minute. Give me a minute. <laughs> this is just, uh, tissue everywhere. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I mean. Yeah, because I'm assuming like they don't actually procreate. They can't have sex for feelings. So I mean, they have to just like just stick a needle in their balls, rip it out, rip out the jizz, and then just shoot it in the women. I'm, I'm assuming. If memory serves, there's a gag in the uh, the Jay Moore headlined mafia spoof mm. movie where a dude busts like he's he's busting, 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 and it's like Johnny Depp. It's like Johnny Depp meeting his end in A Nightmare on Elm Street, but with jism on the ceiling. Oh, thank you. <laughs> it would that. be that. Like, like, Christian Bale is a little backed up in this movie. Yeah. I don't know how he made two kids. Like, I, yeah. I'm sure in vitro was involved because nobody feels nothing in this movie. But yeah. um, it is actually implied that, like, like he really, really, really wants to bang. <laughs> but really I don't think he ever gets to it. <laughs> but I did get a really good chuckle out of uh, his pronunciation of Beethoven. Mm -hmm. He does say Beethoven. Yeah, he does say Beethoven. Yeah, yeah. There was. Uh, How would you know? I mean, yeah. you've never heard it spoken. You're just reading it. It's a Beethoven, obviously. Beethoven fruit, fruit. Do you remember Nicholas Holt in uh, Fury Road, where he's just like, "Yeah, we'll we'll tie it to that thing," and they're like, "The tree." He's like, "Yeah." And he's like, that tree thing. Because he's never seen a fucking tree. Because, yeah, he's... Yeah, that's a fun little detail. Because, yeah, yeah what, what, how would he know? Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah so, he hears some music. He cries. He drops a snow globe. I mean, it's Beethoven. It's like, okay, that's going to make you cry. Um, Beethoven. Yeah, Beethoven. Uh, and then we have uh, uh, an identical gag where we have Christian Bale ends up keeping a book. And uh, he, uh, Tay has the same line. He's like, why don't you leave that for the people to take care of? And he's like, well, sometimes they miss things. And then we get 
the fucking dogs. Yeah, uh, so trigger warning uh, mm-hmm. folks who have particular attachment to our canine friends. Um, this It doesn't have on-screen violence no. to, to dogs, but you do hear some sounds that you probably will will have reactions to. So yes. Just so you know, there is, a, there is a part in this movie. It is introduced, like you will know when it's coming, but, you know, fair warning, because I know this is a big deal for a lot of people. Not me personally, but for a lot of people. Yeah. Um, but yeah, long story short, uh, some violence is done to some dogs because none of the cast members in this story know what it means to connect to an animal or have an emotional connection to an animal. So uh, they do some bad things to some dogs, and then the cutest fucking puppy mm-hmm. runs up to Christian Bale, and he picks him up, and he licks his face. Oh, yeah. And he's so goddamn cute. And he's like, set him back. thinking something bad's going to happen. <laughs> like, set him back down or, so we can shoot him. And he's just like, unjustifiably in a position that I'd rather not be in. Uh, yeah, because they're like, he's like, this, this cute little puppy just licked my face. How am I supposed to put him down and let him get shot? You can't let somebody shoot a puppy. Yeah, it's this movie is not funny. But if if you like, if you picture American Psycho while you're watching it, there yeah. are some moments where the phrase "I need to return some videotapes" comes to yeah. mind, <laughs> yes. and this this is most certainly one of them. <laughs> so yeah. he's holding this puppy like a person who's never held a puppy would, like arms outstretched, like he's not cradling; he's like holding it out like it's a bag of poop or something. Um, but he he justifies his actions. He says, "It seems to me." Uh, at least some of these animals ought to be tested for disease, and he starts walking yeah. away from the crowd, and the and the camera just like watches him walk off, and he says, and he turns around, and he's like, if "There's an epidemic in the Nethers. It's best we know about it." And then yeah. he just like walks off to his car. End scene. <laughs> he looks yeah. like such a goober. It's funny. I've got several. Uh, I've got several uh, American Psycho drops, but I haven't got to use any of them really. Child of divorce. Give me a break. There we go. I got one out. I got one out real quick. <laughs> Um, you have a Hey Paul? Oh, do I have a Hey Paul? Trevor, that's like one of the first ones that I've got. Hey Paul! There we go. Thank you. Oh, and uh, and then my personal favorite, I hope I get to use it someday. Because I want to fit in. I mean, um, that's, that's this character to yeah. a T. I want <laughs> to fit in. That's my, it's my favorite line from that whole movie. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so uh, he, let's see here, he keeps the puppy. Um... No, no, we we haven't we haven't seen the puppy yet. Uh, like we he, we haven't seen that he keeps the puppy, but uh, we do know yeah, the he puppy walked is safe. off with yeah. it and seen. Uh, and then we get another talk with Angus. I think he's again making sure that his allegiances are where they need to be. Make sure he's not feeling anything. Uh, and then he goes and sorts through Emily's stuff. Yeah, like a perv, he he yeah. roots through her conf- confiscated things and he sniffs a ribbon that he finds and he pockets it. Not weird at all. <laughs> Just like a serial killer. <laughs> every scene or every scene where he thinks about Emily Watson in this movie needs to have that clip accompany. <laughs> yeah. Uh. <laughs> uh. <laughs> um. Yeah. So yeah, he's he's sniffing her shit, uh, <laughs> and then we get the puppy talk. Um, that's yeah, what I called this—the yeah. puppy talk. Yeah. So he drives off to the Nethers as, uh, as he learned, Scene Bean was doing as yeah. well to like indulge in contraband, essentially. Uh, so he repeats the same sequence of events, and uh, he drives into the Nether, uh, and we see that Tay Diggs is watching him from afar. So he's snooping on him. 
Um, and then we discover that, oh, uh, Preston has a puppy in his trunk. Mm-hmm. And he takes it out of the trunk and he tries to give him the old shoe. Shoo, get out of here. <laughs> get out Scat. Of here, kid. Get out. <laughs> <laughs> Go away, kid. You bother me. Um, but he won't do it. The puppy is so goddamn cute, and it's just hanging out outside his driver's door and barking at him and stuff. Um, and he gives in. He's like, uh, okay, you're so fucking cute. So he puts the puppy back in the trunk. He takes his jacket off to like make a bed for the puppy. Um, and then a patrol rolls up on him uh, as he's shut in the trunk. Um it's a long, tense scene. We've all seen this before where, you know, a bunch of authority figures, uh, all wearing motorcycle helmets and platform boots, by the way. Mm-hmm. Um, very curious uh, wardrobe design for the goons in this, where it's like, I get it. Like, it's it's a, it's all symbolic of a goon squad where everybody's identical. Everybody's over-costumed. Like, they're, they're wearing, like, these big, giant, like, Gestapo-esque coats but the platform boots are a little bit much. They look they like to call back to Battlefield Earth. They look like oh, cyclos or yes. whatever the fuck. <laughs> um, anyway, an action sequence ensues though because they uh, he's about to get away with it, mm-hmm. uh, but then the dog barks from the trunk and they hear it. Um, and what did you think of this little action beat, Kyle? I think this. I, I I seem to remember this being the best one because the one that happens in the the next one that happens in the warehouse is really bad, uh, but I think this one was pretty fun. Yeah, this might be the highlight just because of the creativity. Mm-hmm. It's, it's it's kicked off by two guys on either side of him holding shotguns to his temples, and then he whacks the shotguns so they rotate in midair so he disarms them the guns spin in midair then he catches them at the grip and he shoots both of them in the face with their own shotguns and i don't care who you are that's really creative and pretty fucking cool and it's Mm -hmm. well executed as well um and then yeah a brief shootout ensues we get to see some backflips and uh everybody's wearing motorcycle helmets so you better believe their visors get smashed because glass breaking in action cinema is just Candy Glass is your best fucking friend if you want to punctuate a beat in an action sequence. Um, but then uh, the real kicker is he he lands like squarely in the middle of like six guys and he does the gun kata shit mm-hmm. of like flailing his arms around like a wacky uh, inflatable armed like the dance, whatever yeah. the fuck. <laughs> and he, he shoots dust squibs out of all the guys around him and strikes a, a flashy pose. Um, and of course all of it is set to... Uh, rockin' techno music because 2002 um but yeah uh, he retrieves the puppy and he heads home um he once again considers using his prosium but instead uh, he decides to stow it behind his bathroom mirror mm-hmm. um and that becomes like his ritual of sorts and then we get the uh the thing that we see in so many fucking action movies that I, it's really funny because we we get this exact scene in batman begins a few years later uh, that would that would be uh we are sparring uh, usually with swords or something and also having like verbal sparring going on at the yeah. same time and i i always find it continually frustrating because it's like when you really break it down it's like that's really hard to do like mm-hmm. hold a conversation while trying to hurt somebody or kill somebody or something but it's it's a trope in drama like we see it all the fucking time and again like i said we we have this exact sequence with Liam Neeson and Batman Begins a few years later, so I guess Christian Bale has some transferable skills uh, gained from this production onto the next. But 
Um, anyway, Tay Diggs basically interrupts his like kata uh, to just kind of like invite himself into a sparring session, an impromptu sparring session with with Christian Bale. And uh, I did like that uh, the way the choreography is uh, staged here. Uh, the first hit that Christian Bale lands on him is at a very similar angle and location as the actual finishing blow on him at the end of the movie where like Tay Diggs enters the sparring session wearing a kendo mask and then he's like whacked in the face it's like if he didn't have that mask on his face would be fucked um but when we get to the end of the movie it's like pretty much that exact that exact strike is what fells him I was like oh that's kind of neat I didn't notice that before um but the entire point of the sequence is basically uh Tay Diggs kind of winking at him and letting him know I think you're a traitor. Like I mm-hmm. think you killed our own boys that night. Uh, yeah. And then we get another raid sequence. The meth lab bust. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's basically RoboCop shooting coke dealers. Basically, <laughs> it's no joke. Basically that, but with an army of Gestapo. Yeah, and Bale is you know he's not really feeling the genocide anymore. He's kind of genocided out, and uh, he's decided that uh, during the shootout he's going to save a group of these guys. Uh, so he ends up leading them away from the fighting. It's like f- four or five guys, and uh, he ends up taking them back. And he's think he thinks he's nearly got them out, but uh oh, Tay is sitting there waiting with a whole group of just what you call them, Gestapo, just just Giuseppe, Gestapo, Gestapo, yeah, Gestapo are back there, and he's just like <laughs> brought them right back to the trap, exactly what needed to happen. And you can tell with his face acting. He's having some feelings here, and he's not doing a very good job of hiding it. Yeah, as Kyle said, the action beat here is not nearly as good as some of the other ones. Uh, we do get to see another tool of the of the Tetragrammaton cleric, is that the uh, the magazines for their pistols have these like blunt protrusions that come out of them, so you, mm-hmm. like they're intended to be used for the purpose of pistol whipping people. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> So we get to see him pistol whip a bunch of dudes and smash their motorcycle helmet visors. It's, it, you know, that part's cool, but there's some needless slow-mo and, like, overbearing choir that plays over that. It's like, yeah. I don't think this is an, I don't think this is a terribly <laughs> emotional beat. Oh, yeah, like, no. It's just making it longer. From the, the Sean, the, like, from the Sean Bean photo all the way till uh, he goes to talk to his son, like, that whole, the music during that whole sequence is awful. It's... Yeah, just the whole time. Um, yeah, yeah. Tay, uh, yeah. So Tay has the guys, and then um, he's just like, "Great, now you can uh, here you go, Christian Bale. You can shoot a ball." And Christian Bale like looks at his gun. He's like, "No, that's okay. You go ahead." And then he just kind of excuses himself to the other room, and then these guys all just get shot. Yeah, he gives a nod to the one prisoner who also replies in kind so i guess the understanding is that yeah you're about to die but i feel bad (laughs) i feel bad and i will hopefully be able to make it worth something yeah um it's it's pretty well executed the way they they show everybody get shot from behind and we have like all the glass panels getting shot out through them like it's a classy way to to show that like the violence in this movie is not terribly explicit yeah um like when you think about what's happening it's pretty fucking gnarly uh but in terms of like gore and stuff it's mostly dust squibs and that's kind of the extent of it honestly but um at this point preston volunteers himself 
uh, to head an operation to infiltrate the quote resistance. Mm-hmm. Um, so basically, he's uh, his public face is is like the tip of the spear when it comes to like quelling the resistance and whatnot. But his internal motivations seem to be merely making contact with the resistance, presumably to aid them. Um, and uh, we see that he goes to visit Scene Bean's corpse and he searches his belongings. He also apologizes to him. You know, he did shoot him in the fucking face. Yeah. Um, but uh, he discovers a photo of uh, Emily Watson oh, together. Oh, oh, yeah, he, he finds another photo. Yeah, finds another photo of her. Uh, <laughs> I need to take this home. I, I need to study this. It might be contaminated. Uh, it's like, it might be important to my investigation. <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> uh, he just recently watched Happiness, so I know what he's going to do with that picture. Um, yeah, so then he goes to talk to Emily, and he's just like, how did you know him? Like, why, why were you hanging out with him? And she's like, he's your friend. Someone killed him. He's like, no, I killed him. And she's like, bitch. And just like grabs a, <laughs> grabs a pencil to kill him, and he stops her, obviously. And again, he looks like he's about to make out with her, but he doesn't. Yeah, uh, he comes to the conclusion, seemingly rightfully, that he and that Scene Bean and her were lovers, mm-hmm. um, and she never replies to that. But it's understood that that's true. Um, interesting split diopter shots for a lot of uh, whenever whenever he leaves her, uh, and some of the more profound comments between the two of them. It's usually him facing away. We have this like split diopter effect of both characters in focus at the same time. I don't know if that was achieved digitally or not. It looks like maybe, but anyway. Um, by the way, uh, the the just some of the vocabulary and the terminology here: Hall of Destruction, mm-hmm. Summary Combustion. Damn, <laughs> it's like you have you have a Hall of Combustion in your city. <laughs> what the fuck? Yeah. Um, but yeah, Summary Combustion is code for execution, basically. Um, anyway, uh, Christian Bale heads to like some sort of archive or something, and because he has this sixth sense about being able to suss out who is feeling and who is not, uh, he just like steps to this one guy and then uses his authority to force everyone out of the room. And turns out he's right. This guy is a feeling individual who's hiding in plain sight, uh, who also was affiliated with Scene Bean. And uh, <laughs> I love that he like grabs him by the collar and he accuses him of feeling this fella and the guy's like no i'm not and he's like then why are you so scared of me right now and it's like i'm the world's greatest detective yeah uh yeah, uh, yeah. he's like well, why, why are you afraid of me then i'm like that yeah that's yeah pretty good you could tell when he walked in that the guy's like hey how are you doing like he had facial he had facial expressions yeah i want to say that like this this time viewing this movie i noticed that that was that was an actual intentional aspect of the performances and the production was that mm-hmm. i think we're meant to understand as we're watching things unfold that there are a lot more feeling people uh, that are hiding in plain sight than than you would expect if you have the perspective of, of a person who doesn't understand what that looks like um because yeah like there it's strongly implied that angus mcfadden is also a feeling person. Tay Diggs also seems to hint from time to time that he's he's got some things going on as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's, like it's just something I noticed. But yeah, this guy he's like he's a little too chummy in a world where nobody is chummy. <laughs> so it's like it, even I could probably figure that out. But anyway, Christian Bale throws him through a false wall. That was pretty cool. Yeah. Um, and we are introduced to William Fickner, 
who yep. the two of them will not share the screen, uh, but will be in the same film uh, a few years down the road in the form of The Dark Knight. Oh, uh, yeah. It's a funny little connection there. Yeah. Um, but yeah, William Fickner is the head of the resistance named Jurgen, and uh, we have a literal underground society, mm-hmm. as in subterranean, yep. like <laughs> underground. <laughs> yes. Mortal Kombat, Kano, look it up. <laughs> Something like underground. Um, and they give him a polygraph, Christian Bale, that is. And William uh, <laughs> Fickner uses the phrase, falling yourself into her. Mm-hmm. I don't know how you could read that other than like banging. I know. Yeah, he was talking about just you know like masturbating to her or something. Uh, but yeah, I, he, I think he's talking about falling in love. But I'm sorry, that phrasing that just sounds like you mean putting my thing in her. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. So uh, we learned that he's like, yeah. Fickner's Jurgen, he's running the resistance, and he's like, Well, how do I help? He's like, Well, you can get in there and kill uh you can um you can kill, kill father. Faja. Father, yeah. Kill Faja. Yeah. And this is where he goes, yeah, he's just like, it's like it's impossible to do. He's like, I can't do it. And he's like, You're gonna have to try. So he goes to talk with Angus, and I think this is where he says to him, he's like, I want to go in and lead, I, I want to go in and find the resistance. I'll kill the rebel scum. Um, yeah. Yeah. And then <laughs> this he, is where he's, he's yeah. informed that there is potentially a traitor among their ranks. Yeah. And they, you know, he's not so subtly implying maybe Preston is that traitor. He's not pointing the finger too harshly. Um, but I did notice here that DuPont pounds his fist on the table and yells at him. It's trying like, to get a reaction out of him. Yeah, it's like, hmm, that was very calculated. Uh, mm-hmm. That worked out. But this is where I say that, that it's not the moment-to-moment editing. It's the scene-to-scene editing of this movie is very clunky. Like, it, it feels it feels like we drag a lot of ass here because a lot, so much of this chapter of the movie is like, Preston goes to see these people. Preston goes back to this office. Preston goes home. Preston runs through the streets like a dickbag, mm-hmm. which makes him stick out like a sore thumb because no one in this movie runs because that that conveys a sense of urgency that yeah. none of these people have. <laughs> anyway, he goes home. We get what are you doing four and five back to back in the form of him uh, snooping through his son's drugs and his son being like, what are you doing? What are you doing? Yeah. <laughs> and then he's but then he says, good night, dad. I thought he said I thought he said good night, Dad. But uh, Steph said he said good night. Then, like he was just like dismissive. The the subtitles read Dad. That's what I thought. She was wrong. Uh, I'll let her know. uh, (laughs) Kyle's door is open, so like ears ears may have picked up on that. So we'll see if this podcast gets derailed by an angry an angry wife walking into the bedroom. She's having a rough day, so I'll just wait to tell her right before she's going to go to sleep. Um, let's see. Yeah, that, that's a plan, but that, that way to go. I like that. <laughs> By the way, you were wrong yesterday. Uh, <laughs> he said goodnight, Dad. Goodnight. <laughs> uh, so, he chats with Emily. She's going to die. Uh, he chats with Bill uh, Fickner again, and Bill's just like, hey, dude, don't don't watch her death. Like, it's not going to do anything good for you. And he's like, okay, whatever. And then Christian Bale goes to his little men in black desk and he watches his wife's incineration. This is where we learn that for incineration, they put on a little red riding hood and they are burned alive. I thought they were, like, 
gassed and burnt, but no, they burn them alive, which is crazy. Yeah, like I said, when you think about the the violence that's done to people in this movie, it's gnarly. Thankfully, like this movie knows that it's a you know semi cheesy like dystopian sci fi action film, so it's it's not here for that. But the ideas are there. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, by the way, uh, he has his final conversation with Emily Watson, and uh, he foregoes using his prosium in front of her. Like the the daily alarm goes off, and he doesn't even make a move, and she's like, "Oh." You've been you've been jerking it to me this whole time, mm-hmm. the whole time, mm-hmm. <laughs> and you never you never let me know. Um, so they share a moment, and uh, there's this neat little focus trick where we see a security camera in focus, and then it goes it dips out of focus, and we see their their hands reaching out to each other across the table. So it's it's basically similar to Tay Diggs watching him uh, with the puppy. Uh, Big Brother is watching, um, and I use Big Brother very you know deliberately yeah deliberately um, so the this emotional connection he's trying to form with the prisoner is witnessed by someone essentially mm-hmm. um but yeah uh, he rewatches. oof imagine imagine being at work and, and like walking by that desk some guy watching his wife's execution on on his computer <laughs> like at work it's like what the fuck uh, it's like I think Preston's having a bad day. Yeah, <laughs> I think he's probably gonna kill himself later. <laughs> it's like it's like I probably shouldn't let him know that I ate all the donuts in the break room. <laughs> um, but he he runs. He tries to stop the execution using his authority as a cleric. Um, unfortunately, he is too late. The time lock is sealed. Mm-hmm. And credit to Emily Watson, she acts the hell out of the sequence. It's nonverbal. She just kind of has to stare into the camera and look scared, um, but also brave at the same time. And uh, very similar to when uh, he put on the Beethoven for the first time. Uh, we zoom into his eye, um, and we see her burning. Uh, we see her burning in the reflection uh, on his. That's uh, like transposed onto his eyes. We zoom into it, um, and he leaves the building, and he's trying to be stoic about it. Um, you know, not showing emotion in public, but then he he just breaks down and goes into the fetal position at the base of the steps. Is again Christian Bale doing some of that acting shit in a mm-hmm. movie that he probably could have gotten away with not doing half of the stuff, but he tries. He he has a lot of moments in this movie. Um, and then Tay Diggs uh, approaches him, and uh, it's it's Benny Blanco from the Bronx, basically. <laughs> He's like, I'm here in your moment of week. Uh, have you seen Carlito's Way? No. Okay, well, Benny Blanco from the Bronx is a very uh, memorable character. John Leguizamo in the 90s. Mm. Uh, I can't remember if he was pre or post-Pest. Probably Ugh. pre. Yeah, I know. <laughs> that that movie is, uh, yikes. Yeah. <laughs> I remember the promotion for that movie was out of control, though. It was everywhere there for a minute. Um, so was he for a minute. Not very long, but... Um, Anyway, Tay Diggs punches him out and arrests him and, like, brings him to the halls of justice to make an example out of him. And he brings him to DuPont, wherein Preston, uh, Preston flips the script on Tay Diggs. And uh, we discover, oh, that whole lengthy exchange between the two of them during that execution of all the prisoners at the raid. The reason why we spent so much time kind of, like, talking back and forth there was that, oh, Preston switched the guns, mm-hmm. uh, which have tracking devices on them, apparently. So long story short, uh, Tay Diggs is attempting to convict Preston on the spot. 
but uh, the blame is shifted to him. Uh, so he is taken into custody and uh, to summary combustion, as they say it. Um, and DuPont's like, hey, Preston, way to go. You found the traitor. Good job. By the way, we're going to send a search party to your fucking house just to be sure. Mm-hmm. And he has to pretend like, yeah, that's cool. I don't have, you know, tons of porn strewn about my house right now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I kind of, again, if you if you have American psycho in your head as you're watching this scene unfold it makes you laugh because you get to see like christian bale running home mm-hmm. and then be, like a few steps before he gets to his door he like stops and like composes himself and just like casually like walks in like that's right i'm bad <laughs> like, I, I, he's, is, he's like i keep together is it ferris bueller's day off where the principal's running down the halls but he has to stop by the classrooms, like he's, he can only run in between the classrooms. I can't remember what movie it is where they're running down the halls and they they're like sprint and then you got to walk past it. Sprint, 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 walk. I can't remember what movie it is. I uh, can't either, but you may be right on that. Okay. But it, I just thought it was funny, and also just like him walk, walking casually up to the front door of his building, and he's mm. like, "I have nothing to hide," and then immediately cut to him like sprinting up the stairs, no. like, "Oh God, they're gonna find it." Um, but long story short, uh, he discovers that his son is well aware that he's not been taking his drugs because he has not been taking his drugs, nor has the daughter because they, um, when their mother was burned alive, uh, decide, you know, I think I want to feel some stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, so as a family, they're, even though they're all pretending, they're all masquerading as unfeeling individuals in public, uh, mm-hmm. as a family, they're all unified. Yeah. Bale makes a deal with Angus. He's like, yeah, how about I get an audience with Father since I've done so well? And he's like, nobody gets an audience with Father. He's like, what if I give him the whole resistance? And he's like, well, maybe. Um, so, yeah, this is the exchange. We have to turn in the resistance, and he's going to get uh, an audience with Father. Yeah. Uh, so now the deal is set, um, and he makes a phone call, and he says, hey, I have the whole resistance up for you. We actually see... Uh, Jurgen, William Fickner, and like the resistance heads all being arrested and taken into custody. Um, and uh, Preston uh, goes uh, to like the Hall of Justice or wherever, uh, wherever Father resides. Um, and the person who greets him uh, is the the equivalent of like the ring announcer, basically Bruce Campbell from the first Spider-Man, mm-hmm. um, or Michael Buffer, or you know whoever you want to say, um, is the same fellow from Gladiator. Uh, with the bad wig and the crazy eyebrows mm-hmm. and a magnificent voice, I, I don't actually don't know the actor's name, but it was he was instantly recognizable to me. I'll put you um, back in that shithole I found you from. He sounds almost like the Emperor from uh, <laughs> from uh, Return of the Jedi. And he's angry. <laughs> yeah, yeah, a little bit. He has a little bit of uh, McDermott in him, but um bale is promptly put into a polygraph test which he was not aware was going to happen no and you can tell he's a little bit nervous <laughs> um basically it's to make sure that he is not a feeling individual uh, before he sees you know that the head of the world uh, pre- basically president debo from the fifth element mm-hmm. like the the like grandmaster of the universe essentially i love that we got a president debo that just makes me smile yeah. <laughs> tony lister um Anyway, uh, we also discover that Tate Diggs is still alive, and he like just kind of pops in to mock him for a second. It's like, oh, something is amiss, uh, and uh, we get a big reveal here that uh, Sean Pertwee, the face of Father, uh, who is just the big giant head uh, who talks on monitors throughout the entire movie, 
uh, is in fact uh, Angus McFadden. Um, turns out it's just like a CGI project projection of a familiar face who actually did found this society mm -hmm. um, but passed away many years prior and I'm I'm not going to go into too much detail here but like I want to say this reveal was pretty popular around this time and also like I, I don't remember the time of the release but there was a computer game a very 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 popular and uh, influential computer game called System Shock 2 um, that had a reveal very similar to this. I would not be surprised, just based on the aesthetic choices of this director, like as evidenced by this and uh, in particular Ultraviolet, I would not be surprised if Mr. Kurt Wimmer has played System Shock 2 um, because this reveal is shockingly similar uh, to a very important moment from that game. Definitely worth anyone's time who's interested in that sort of thing. But um, anyway, basically, they, this is the Total Recall reveal. Um, this, this is uh, you. You were actually you were actually a mole the entire time, an unwitting agent uh, to the cause, uh, rather than aid to the resist the resistance. You helped you helped the bad guys without knowing it. We were manipulating you, um, which brings us to the big finale, Kyle. Uh, thoughts? Uh... Your ass better call somebody. Yeah, uh, you can tell from this white outfit that he is about to murder the fuck out of everybody. Uh, he's got a white outfit with uh, a katana, uh, pretty sure. Um, yeah, the finale was, it kind of just reminded me of the ending of Blade 2, where he's just like, just not even blinking, he's just going through and just murdering everybody. Yeah, uh, remember folks, 2002, same year. Um, and not only that, the most important thing to keep in the back of your mind as you're watching this movie is The Matrix, obviously. Mm -hmm. Like, we got dystopia, we got sci-fi, we got wire work, and now we have uh, a hallway shootout that may as well be the, the, you know, office lobby shootout from the finale of the first Matrix film. If memory serves, Matrix Reloaded wouldn't come out until the next year, I think, 2003, um, but there was that there was that gap between 1999 and and The Matrix Reloaded, where we were just inundated with all sorts of stylistic imitators of of that that formula that that brand of action. Uh, so it's you can't help but notice it. Um, but I do give this movie a lot of points for creativity and variety, uh, because the action scenes are very 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 brief, um, but they're shot and edited very crisply. Um, you can tell that they, they had to do things a very specific way because of, you know, just technological limitations and budgetary limitations. But we get to see a bunch of gun kata here. Uh, the, the hallway sequence is really cool. We get to see that he has uh, these gadgets where it's basically like a rounded bottom to these uh, magazines for his pistols that he slides out to the middle of the room so he can, he can retrieve them later. So they'll just be standing upright the whole time so you can easily insert them uh, into the pistols um we also get this cool moment where he steps on a rifle and like flips it over his own shoulder to catch it very creative stuff excellently executed and and wonderful dust squibs again very evocative of the the office lobby shootout from the matrix um anyway all the guards are killed oh go ahead i was gonna say i'm gonna have to head out i'm gonna let you take over and finish out this episode but i'm gonna play myself out real quick and uh, I'll let you take care, folks. I will see you next week. But uh, until then, Fire! so yeah, uh, I'm gonna close this bitch out because uh, Kyle had to go do some real life shit. But 
Um, anyway, yeah, the hallway gunfight. It's a it's very well put together. Um, they make very good use of like the the costuming of the goons getting shot again. Uh, Candy Glass is your best friend if you want to create like punctuate a moment in an action sequence. Um, really cool dust squibs. I will note here that um, I want to say that they either shot this with airsoft guns or non-functioning uh, pistol props because there's no slide action uh, during most of, if not all, of the gun kata stuff that Christian Bale does. And he does do quite a lot of it, if not all of it. Probably not some of the backflips and stuff, but I want to say that they did it with non-functioning props because there are airsoft guns that, you know, are gas-operated and have a slide action whatnot. Um, but the reason for that seems to be logistical um, in the sense that, you know, the report of, e- like, a blank firing weapon or a real one, it, it would not, it would disallow you from being able to do pretty much any of the stuff that's done in this movie. So it, it was done, you know, very deliberately. Uh, the effect does not suffer any because of it. It's just an observation. Um, and adding the CGI muzzle flashes, you know, provides a, a visual effect that's sufficient to convey, you know, the violence and the action. Um, and it needs to be noted, I'm pretty sure that they do a lot of the John Wick stuff in a very similar fashion, although probably with functioning props to some degree, but uh, I don't know if they use blank firing weapons. I've actually not seen a whole lot of behind the scenes stuff, just to, like the CGI assisted sequences. If you want if you want uh, to have fun looking at some green screen craziness, uh, look up how they did the motorcycle sequence in uh, John Wick 3 Parabellum, uh, because uh, holy fucking shit, that is... That is some next level like cinema magic. Um, really, I, I would emphasize anybody who's interested in seeing how the action like gets to your table, like from farm to table, um, definitely look into that sequence because um, I don't think that's like one of the best action beats in those movies, um, but just the creativity at work uh, in the logistics of putting it together and assembling it uh, is truly amazing. <laughs> um, anyway, uh, Preston shoots everybody, um, which brings us to like the final boss of the movie, which is of course Angus McFadden and uh, Tay Diggs. Um, but before that, uh, he has to have a sword fight with a bunch of guards who uh, their outfits look like Shinsengumi, or they look like a uh, uh, Saito Hajime uh, from Jujutsu Kenshin. Uh, if you know who that is, uh, I hope you do, uh, because Saito is fucking awesome. Um, anyway, he, he dispatches these guys like fucking nothing. I don't even think they really get a swing on him. He just kind of like slices and dices all of them. But it's really funny because uh, the the like the meanest or biggest looking guard that's standing in front of him, because he's totally surrounded, um, straight up growls at him before the violence starts. And Christian Bale's reaction is very genuine in that he smirks at him, where it's like, bitch, did you just growl at me? <laughs> Um, but it's also telling that it's like this is, you know, Christian Bale is playing a, a character that's recently coming to, you know, understand and enjoy his emotions. So like for him to react to that so sincerely felt very, very appropriate. It, it's just bizarre, like seeing a dude go mm, and think they would actually be intimidating. But then again, the guard that's standing before him probably doesn't understand emotions so like he, he doesn't quite understand fear so maybe he thinks maybe he maybe he heard that like growling at people is an intimidation tactic but i'm sorry it doesn't really work at least not in this context but long story short all these guards get cut down 
super easily. Uh, it's largely bloodless for the most part. Um, and I loved, I loved uh, Angus McFadden's uh, his his facial reactions. Like like he has his fingers tented like in front of him. Uh, like uh, was it Gendo uh, Mikami from uh, Evangelion? Uh, Shinji's dad. Like you know his his uh, trademark tented hands posture, like leaning over his desk. He's he's sitting like that, and the tent just goes. It, it, like his fingers just fold in on themselves and he just looks like somebody just cut the biggest fucking fart right in front of his face and he does it a couple of times like every time christian bale murks somebody like super savagely we just cut back to angus mcfadden just looking like Ugh! Ugh! <laughs> like oh my god this fucking guy um anyway uh tay diggs is next in line he is our he is our mid boss uh, essentially he is uh He's our Goro to uh, Angus McFadden's uh, Shang Tsung. Uh, so Tay Diggs steps to him, and uh, by the way, he seems like he he practiced some with a katana because he does he does some like flippy wrist action here that's very silky smooth. Like this one move in particular, he does it during the sparring session, but he reiterates it here, and it looks great. It looks like man, maybe we should let Tay Diggs swing some more swords in cinema. Like, I, this is the only movie I know of where he did it. He's mostly a, a very affable, like, very likable screen presence, so I am i don't mind seeing him and stuff, but I don't remember seeing him do much action. Um, anyway, uh, he comes at Preston and uh, very promptly uh, is sliced across the torso, which causes uh, his, his guns, which are in holsters, to fall to the floor. Um, and then he's also sliced upward... Uh, like an upward stroke, like think a shoulder you can or a tiger uppercut uh, through the chin and just just his face. Um, so he collapses on his knees and he turns his head to the side and we see from like an over the shoulder angle um, his face come off uh, and slide to the floor, uh, which is very funny because uh, remember we're talking about movies from the year 2002 and a little movie by the name of Resident Evil, which we talked about uh, earlier this month, also happened to fall, fall in uh, 2002. And it also featured, you know, uh, people being sliced and then falling apart uh, a few seconds after the fact. So uh, just interesting little bit of, you know, maybe some parallel thinking or something in terms of like creativity behind uh, staging these action sequences. Uh, by the way, on the subject of uh, holsters of pistols falling to the ground, um, I think I forgot to mention that uh, one of the gadgets uh, that the clerics and uh, Preston have is a uh, they have a uh, like wrist mechanisms that cause their pistols to slide out from their their uh, their sleeves of their coats. Um, and they also have uh, a similar mechanism that causes uh, magazines to uh, shoot out and reload the pistols if they if they hold them at a specific angle. Very cool stuff. Uh, it's a little gimmicky, uh, but again, uh, immensely creative uh, choreography uh, on display for what for what little action we actually have in this movie. So all credit to the folks who conceived of that sort of stuff. It's it's cheesy. It doesn't really make any sort of sense from a logistical standpoint, but it's it's cool stuff that I probably drew uh, in my math book when I was at school as a child uh, for sure. <laughs> um, Anyway, Tay Diggs is dispatched, which leaves us with uh, Father, a.k.a. Angus McFadden, uh, as the final challenge. And uh, he reiterates the uh, the quote that uh, Scene Bean, that Sean Bond, uh, had said earlier in the film, uh, Be careful, Preston. 
you're treading on my dreams, uh, which uh, plays us into a proper gun kata fight or a gun kata duel, uh, which is something that um, I, you know, in watching the movie for the first time, you're probably not certain that you will you will see. Uh, but when you see how it plays out, it's like, oh, that's actually really cool. Uh, because what, like the whole concept of the gun kata, and I apologize, I think Kyle had set me up to explain this uh, at the beginning of the recording, but I kind of no-sold it. But basically the gun kata is this idea, it's kind of a bullshit idea, as I mentioned, by, you know, just the simple concept of like recoil, uh, preventing these highly coordinated movements uh, being possible. But basically what it is, is the way they explain it, and Angus McFadden has this big exposition dump, this big pointless exposition dump, by the way, uh, complete with visuals and whatnot, demonstrating it, that um, through like studying gunfights over the entire history of gunfights, um, they've created a system of movements, aka a kata, uh, basically a form, uh, or a, a pre-choreographed a pre form of some sort, um, that causes the human form, the, like your posture, your positioning, uh, to fall into stances and positions uh, that are statistically proven to be the most effective at avoiding traditional lines of fire. And on paper, that's that makes all the sense in the world. In execution, sounds completely impossible and utterly preposterous. <laughs> um, but what's cool here in this finale is that we get to see what it looks like when two people at close range using those mechanics uh, are set against each other. And I really love the choreography of this, especially considering that, you know, Christian Bale's not a martial artist. He, he's done a lot of movement training in his life. Like he has dabbled in martial arts for films. Uh, he's done song and dance stuff. Like I'm pretty sure he's done quite a bit of musical theater earlier in his career, especially. So he's, he's skilled at moving and whatnot. Angus McFadden uh, is not in amazing shape in this movie, nor do I recall him having very many action roles, so I don't know how capable or how graceful he is. Uh, but the way they shoot and edit this, uh, they do a fantastic job of making these two performers look great. Like, they do a very good job of of conveying all the things that they need to, um, mostly through editing, honestly, because none of the movements are too flashy, um, and, none, and it's very quick cuts, but it's never too quick to the point where it's disorienting. But basically, we just have two people with pistols trying to shoot each other in the face, um, but they're they're using hand trapping and, and like displacing each other's movements in such a way that they can't get a clean shot off. So they keep shooting around each other, uh, which would probably very much make both of these guys totally fucking deaf uh, by the end of it. Um, but what I'm trying to get at is that I think this is a very well choreographed, but more importantly, well shot, conceived, and edited sequence. Um, but long story short, uh, Preston manages to get the better of him and disarms Angus McFadden, uh, who then tries to reason uh, with Christian Bale by like pointing out, hey, I'm a human being. And he even claims to feel, which as I had said earlier, um, I want to say is the case, because as I said, he, he quoted Yeats before this gun this gun battle which strongly implies that he has read yates <laughs> um which would be a quote sense offense uh in in the world of equilibrium um so preston again quotes 
seeing being in return and uh, says like you know the cost of killing you I pay it gladly uh, so he executes Angus McFadden aka father um, and then proceeds to head down a hallway to destroy pretty much all the computers that broadcast a father's digital message across the cityscape um, and then the plan going in to this this operation to assassinate father was that William Fickner had told Christian Bale earlier in the film that once father goes down once his signal uh, is shut down uh, that will trigger uh, resistance members to detonate explosives that they have placed across the city at prosium clinics aka the uh, emotion suppressing drugs um, so it'll be like a it will be a snowball effect of father's message is no longer being propagated uh, the supply chain of the emotional supp emotion suppressing drugs will be disrupted for x number of days or whatever and in the chaos x number of people will not be able to get their dose and will likely embrace the new feelings that are brought on by that blank period so it's it's a very hopeful ending is what i'm getting at and uh, as the explosions are going off, which actually feels a little bit similar to the end of uh, David Fincher's uh, Fight Club, um, just, you know, watching the explosions go off, like on the other side of the city, essentially. Um, we actually cut to William Fickner, like, in line for execution. Like, it's, it's strongly implied that he and a lot of the other resistance members are going to be executed. In fact, he, he verbalizes that earlier in the film, that sacrifices will need to be made. Like some people will need to masquerade in public as unfeeling people in order to preserve the greater good of the you know the the other people who who can be allowed to indulge in their feelings. It's it's very much a uh, it's very much a Mr. Spock mentality of the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few. Um, so Jurgen, William Fichtner, and and Preston both seem to be those types of characters where it's like they will masquerade in public as unfeeling in order to allow other people to have the luxury of feeling in private in in the underground and whatnot um we also see christian bale's kids playing with the puppy so uh as i said uh that entire family is made up of feeling people and now they have a puppy um and uh we see a bunch of resistance members just like pour out of the woodwork and start like raiding all facets of the state um, by you know mowing down the uh, motorcycle helmet helmeted uh, goons uh, cronies across the whole city um, and then our final shot is a uh, Christian Bale uh, smiling while looking out into the city and uh, caressing the uh, the ribbon uh, that he still had in his pocket um, I don't have the uh, soundboard so I can't play the lovely uh, <laughs> oh, <my>. oh. <laughs> I can't do that for you but um, that's my approximation of it uh, thankfully uh, that's about the end of it. So, uh, yeah, that was uh, Kurt Wimmer's uh, Equilibrium from the year 2002. And I think it's a pretty okay film. Uh, it does have some truly awesome moments for sure. I don't think anybody can dispute that. However, it does have some serious uh, pacing problems. As I said, it's not so much like from moment to moment. It's actually very cleanly assembled in that you're never struggling you're never not knowing what's going on. You're never hurting for like uh, visual or or expositional information. So in that way, it's it's very it's very well assembled. Only problem is there's a lot of scenes that I 
I'm not sure I agree with their placement, and moreover, I'm not sure if they even need to be here. Um, it needs to be said also, this movie is only 107 minutes long, so it's not overlong in the traditional sense, but it almost feels like it could be somewhat shorter and probably be better for it. Um, it's it's a it's an odd duck of a film in the in that it is really explicitly trying to be like a slam bang action thriller from time to time but the the concepts the material are so dour um and and even the production like even the even the aesthetic of it 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 kind of beats you down a little bit like that brutalist architecture and the the completely washed out color palette like just concrete and black like gunmetal concrete and black are, are basically the colors you have to work with in this film it does feel it does like feel a little dreary from time to time and not not in that like it's it's too depressing but just it feels like it's lacking in energy from time to time so not nearly a terrible film i think it's very watchable uh there are some moments where like you know me as a, like looking back on my initial viewing it of i'm just like yeah there's i know why i enjoy this movie but um hard for me to like give a strong recommend for anybody but you know i do think it has some strengths to it but yeah i guess that concludes our uh, our month of 2002 movies i'm not sure what we're going to be doing for the month of august but uh hopefully we'll have a better idea of it uh, as the week goes on but um, thank you so much for listening. Uh, I will send a thank you to Kyle via text for joining me today. But um, if you'd like to catch up on any of our Catching Up on Cinema content, you can find all of that uh, located on our website at catchinguponcinema.com. Uh, you can also find us on the social media in the form of the Twitter at Catching Cinema, as well as the Instagram at Catching Up on Cinema. So feel free to uh, hit me up at either of those. And the podcast is available on pretty much every platform you can imagine, including BitCade. So fucking Google that shit. And uh, that being said, thank you so much for listening. And we will most certainly catch you next time. Bye.